Welcome to the Rise to the Challenge podcast. I'm your host, Alex Burkett. I hope everyone's having a wonderful day today, as myself am too. We got a great episode for you today. Brett Lauren, who's a former professional baseball player, a former restaurant franchise owner, and the host of the Too Tall Sports podcast, which is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube, joins me on the show to talk about his journey and his rise to the challenge. I had a great time learning from a fellow podcaster as we were able to help each other learn and how we can grow as a person in the podcast industry. He talks about playing baseball and what that journey was like and what was his mindset during each season. This week's quick fire challenge is actually a quote that Brett gave me during our interview and you can check it out later in the episode. But it's failing to prepare is preparing to fail by John Wooden. So think about any challenge that you're going through or any assignment project. If you're going into it and you're not thinking you're going to fail, did you really prepare for yourself? A strong individual is able to accommodate any distractions, any challenges, and gets to the other side. Think about an obstacle course. If you're knowing that an obstacle is going to be tough, you're going to go for it and you're going to try as hard as you can because you are prepared for yourself knowing that you don't know what's going to happen and you're just going to do it. Remember, if you're new to the podcast, we're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, and all major platforms. Make sure to like, follow, subscribe, and share with all your friends and family so that they can hear our guests talk about their Rise to the Challenge. So sit back and relax. Enjoy the Rise to the Challenge of Brett Lauren. Welcome back to the show. Joining me today, he's a former minor league baseball player, former franchise owner of restaurants, and the host of the Two Tall Sports Podcast. It's Brett Lauren. How are you doing today, Brett? Good. Thank you for having me, Alex. I appreciate it. Glad to be on the show and uh, looking forward to it. Well, thank you for the opportunity to learn more. Uh, You and I connected on LinkedIn, and LinkedIn has been one of the best places to learn more about people and the people in the podcast industry. And I'm glad we're able to have this conversation so we can learn more about each other. For sure. Definitely. I think, yeah, LinkedIn's great. I think a lot of people underutilize LinkedIn. So I think you really want to get connected with someone and they'll respect you a little more if you use it. I I like that tool too. I totally agree. So with all my guests, we like to go on their journey through their life, starting right at the beginning. So talk about what were you involved in growing up? Uh, sports for like basically my whole life. So I just kind of played, I played a little bit of everything, you know, basketball was like my main, my number one sport, actually, it's still my favorite sport, but, um, I always kind of played baseball. My dad played both of those when he was growing up. Um, I even played soccer, which is, you know, I don't really like it, but everybody (laughs) plays, you know, like karate when you're a kid. So everybody does a little bit of everything. And then you kind of, as you get older, you figure out kind of what you want to do, but sports for my life, man, that's, that's what I wanted to do. When you were trying to figure out what sport that you were going to make, like the transition to the stick to that, was it a difficult decision or was it a hard, or was it an easy decision for you? 
it was it was difficult um, in high school. You know, once you get like junior senior year, the coaches of each team kind of they just want you to focus on their sport, of course, because they want you year round and, and with the team all the time. But I chose to play both baseball and basketball all four years of high school, and I wanted to because I knew at some point one of those was going to end. Um, and truth be told, I, I would have loved to play basketball. Like that would have been my dream to play, but. I kind of got realistic and was like, what do I have the best career chance of playing? And Mm -hmm. I I went with baseball um, and obviously ended up working out. Um, But at 18, I had to figure out, I was like, all right, what am I going to do here? Because I had a couple of small offers, um, like Division II offers for basketball, but I had Division I offers for baseball. So um, I decided to go the baseball route and I went to the University of Arizona. Um, I was recruited walk-on, not even a scholarship guy. and I redshirted my first year, didn't get a lot of innings, barely pitched. I was a pitcher, barely pitched my second year. Um, and that's kind of when the turning point happened in my career when I chose to transfer to Long Beach State. So I went there for one year, and that's where I got drafted out of to eventually play professional ball. Growing up, did you have any inspirations or people that motivated you during playing the sports? I think, yeah, obviously, you know, like uh, The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan documentary, that was huge. You know, I was still kind of young during those years, but watching him and then Kobe for basketball became my guy when him and Shaq were together at the Lakers in the mm-hmm. early 2000s. That was great, that run. And then for baseball, it, Ken Griffey Jr. was my guy. Like, he was, like, everything. You know, he was basically the Kobe for me for bat, for baseball. Um I don't know. He was just on another level, I think, as far as talent-wise. So I always enjoyed watching him. Um, But, yeah, those kind of were my inspirations growing up. I played baseball. I played soccer, kind of like you. I kind of played all these different sports. Soccer, and then I went to tennis, and then I went to baseball. No, I think I went baseball and then tennis. So, like, soccer, Landon Donovan was, like, my favorite. Then I went to baseball, and... A name that's not really mentioned, Nomar Garcia Para. For sure. He yeah. was like a favorite of mine. I don't know why. Yeah. I mean, there was like games that I played and he was always on there. I'm like, okay, this guy is awesome. And then I went to tennis and Andy Roddick was the top person for me. I was like trying to implement his serve. I wasn't great at it, but <laughs> it was just fun to watch these people and how much they have a passion for the sports that they have. And kind of with you mentioned with Kobe, Shaq, uh, Ken Griffey Jr., they all had the passion for the sports. Did you kind yes. of, growing up, you found that passion in a way that this was what you knew you wanted to do? Right. Like, sometimes it's hard to know when you're young, like, what you want to do. Like, unless you have it in your, your heart, you're going to be a lawyer. You're going to be a doctor. Yeah. Like, you know 100% I'm going to be that. For me, like, I didn't – I almost – didn't have any other options like yeah i was going with plan a which was playing sports and seeing how far i could take it so even going like i just had a feeling that's what i was going to do and i i would be surprised if i didn't play in college just coming out of high school so i just i had that mindset and i devoted everything to that and you know and that also comes with you know all kinds of lessons and everything all, just years and hours at the field and on the court for basketball just dedicated to it and i had a when you have a passion for it you're more likely to follow through with it you know versus like when people say write down your goals you're more likely to do it it's true because you'll force yourself to to make sure to put yourself in a position to succeed in those goals if you're really passionate about it and i think when everyone gets to ask that question what is your dream job out there and i know for me it was a game show host 
I always okay. wanted to be a game show host. I don't know why. I was most likely to be a game show host in high school. But it's like, where do you go for that? Like, you, like, how do I get passionate about it? And eventually, over my time, I ended up getting back into it. So when you were go going to college, did you know what college you wanted to go to? Or these were the options available at that time? Yeah, I think once I got, I didn't have a, a ton of offers, but I had a decent amount. But once I like went and visited uh, U of A, uh, University of Arizona, and I, I just got on campus there, I just felt like this is the right place for me. Um, but that doesn't mean that's the, the, the only place you can go. You know, I actually was able to, after my sophomore year, I had to really make a decision. And school-wise, by the way, it was great. You know, it's a fun school with parties and all that stuff. But um, and baseball is a good program. But I... I, I was going to be a junior and I wanted to make it, I had to make a decision like, am I getting enough exposure here? No, I'm not. And as much as I love going to U of A, I had to make a decision that was going to put me in a great spot to get drafted for baseball. Mm -hmm. So that's when I chose to go to Long Beach State. Um, not like my, my, coincidentally, my dad actually went there, but it was kind of cool to come home. Not that I needed to be close to home, but like the, I just felt like I need to do something. And that was actually the summer. So that was summer of 2007 before they implemented that rule where if you go from D1 to D1, like a lateral move, you have to sit out a year. Okay. Versus if you go D1 down to D2 or D3 or you know NAIA, whatever, you don't have to sit out, you can play right away. So I had to make a move. And it was, the, like I said earlier, it was the turning point in my career. I got a lot more innings, a lot more exposure, and I was able to get drafted. So sometimes it's not always the right fit, but you go with your gut on what you, where you think you should go. What were you going for in college? Like what was that degree? that you were going for? I wish I could say a degree in baseball, but <laughs> <laughs> I would say uh, business. And then I ended up getting into sociology when I got into at Long Beach State, but I was going for business for the most part. Were you focusing on the baseball more? Cause you were like hoping I don't need to worry about college in a way. Baseball was going to be that future for me. Yes and no. I think I always knew like, all right, I, I got to make sure I go to school and, and I wasn't like, I was never one that was going to miss class. I, I was, you know, turning my stuff on time. Like I wasn't that guy who was like, nope, I got it made. I'm going because that's just naive. Like, you know, that's the odds of making it are very slim. So mm. you have to always have a backup plan. Um, but mentally, yes, I was going to school, but mainly to play baseball and see what I could do with it, you know? And, um, once I became a junior and I got closer to getting drafted, I really started to feel it like, all right, I got, I got a shot here. Like I, I see like I, if I can make this happen. So, um, but yeah, definitely, you know, like I tell a lot of high school kids that are thinking about getting drafted, I highly recommend going to college. You shouldn't miss those years unless the money is overwhelming out of, <laughs> you know, signing bonus in the draft. You got to take it. Yeah. But I always recommend people go to college. Cause I know that's always a, conversation that comes up because a lot of college players they want to just go ahead and get drafted and then not worry about their senior year and it's one of those things where an injury could come up maybe you don't get signed anymore and what do you have to fall back onto? and i think i think now people are seeing okay i need to stay for that senior year i need to get that degree because you don't know what's going to happen nowadays people think you could be the best player in the world but you could have that one off season and now it's where, where are you at next? hundred percent. That's why, you know, and you can always go back to school and even though it's tough to do, but I think to at least get three years. And I just think maturity wise, like going from 18 to 21 is a huge maturity jump. Yep. 
like even when I was in the minor seeing the high school kids, they're so young and they just haven't experienced enough life yet. And they're dealing with older, you know, guys that are a little more salty that have <laughs> you know been around a little longer. You got the Latin guys coming from Dominican, Venezuela that are coming over too. You got to deal with them, you know. So it's just a, I think for high school kids, I always lean toward college for sure. During your time in playing baseball in college, what did you learn about yourself? What kind of skills did you grow into? I think, yeah, I think for most people living on your own, you know, like just being, hey, like your mom is, you know, not going to do your laundry anymore. You know, <laughs> like you got to make food for your, you know, buy buy food on your own. You got to take care of yourself. I think that that is the biggest jump is learning how to live on your own, be responsible, pay bills, you know, even though they don't teach you, and that's a whole other sidebar conversation. Yeah. <laughs> College, you know, I wish they would teach you more about life skills and, you know, taxes and all that kind of stuff. But um, I think it's just growing up and, and doing stuff on your own, being away from home, and, and then you come back, you know, three, four years later after college and you're ready to get into the world now. So I think that's what the biggest jump was maturity. See, I was ready. I'm like, I can cook, I can <laughs> pay stuff. I'm like, okay, can I get out of here, please? Some so kids are more ready than others. You never know. That's true. And like you said, the whole conversation with what what should colleges be teaching us and that they don't really teach us is yeah. that's like a whole it's like the conversation where should college athletes get paid, how that was like the huge conversation. And now we're seeing states here making or implementing those rules. It's like, well, can we move next topic that we all need to be discussing when you were going to or after college? Did you have any regrets or anything that you wanted to experience in college that you didn't get to? Uh, that's a good question. Not, I wouldn't say that much stuff. I mean, I still got to have fun. You're not just the general college kid, though. I mean, there was a lot of time. I mean, as a student athlete, you're what usually waits in the morning. You got to go to class, then you got to go to study hall, then you got practice, and then you got games on top of that when you're in season. You kind of you don't get as much time away and to have fun and I guess party as much as other kids, but you still get to do it. Like you know, you're not in season the whole the mm -hmm. whole year, so you have time to do it. Um, and in the summertime and all that stuff, but uh, no, I think I was ready after my three years of college. I was ready, like just mentally, I was ready for the next thing. Um, even our team coming back at Long Beach wasn't as great as the year before. We had a ton of guys drafted the year that I got got signed so I was ready everybody from that team was ready to move on so I don't think I regret anything so talk about the transition from college to minor leagues how was that for you yeah it's different um you know some of these guys come from these big power five you know huge conference uh programs and they get a lot of stuff you know given to them and then you start playing in you know Everett Washington no one's ever heard of it <laughs> you know it's just like or you're <laughs> different cities around the country, West Virginia, like, you know, you're in Alabama, I played in everywhere. So it's definitely different. Um, it kind of has a college feel, but you're, you're playing in front of more people. You are, guys are getting paid now to play. So it's just, it's different. Um, but you kind of have to really pay your dues as far as climbing the ranks in the system. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a, everybody's trying to do the same thing as you. So in college, everybody's having fun. You know, we want to cherish this forever. When you get to Pro Bowl, it's a business. Like, you, even though I'm living with you or you're on my team, we're all trying to get to the big leagues. Yeah. And there's about, at the time before they cut all these minor leaguers recently, there's about 150 dudes trying to get to 25 spots in the big leagues. So it's a competition. 
was a very cutthroat style. Like people yeah. would do anything to jeopardize your chance to, I mean, not, not completely, yeah. but like, I don't know how they would say like, no, I hear it. Like it was, I, I know people like if somebody got cut or released, like I would even hear guys say, Hey, that's one last guy I got to worry about, you know? And it's, it sucks, but it's the truth. Mm -hmm. And you know, I don't think anybody's doing anything malicious or anything like that, but it's hard to see guys get moved up and, you know, up and down the system and, and you're not getting moved up and you maybe think you deserve to. And then you get guys mentally just start wrapping their heads around, you know, trying to be the, I always call it like playing GM general manager. Like you trying to make all the moves. Mm -hmm. like, you can't worry about that stuff. You got to go out and play. Um, the hardest part is it's not all performance based. There's some political stuff. There's certain money behind certain guys that are, they're going to, the front office drafted that guy. They want him to get moved up, so they're covering their, covering their, you know what? So there's a, a lot of stuff behind the scenes that happens, but um, but yeah, it's a, it's a cutthroat business. You mentioned when you're watching people get moved up. How do you keep that positive mindset going to know that it's not you still have that chance? Like you never know what's going to happen, but I have to keep on going and getting better and better. So my name is the one that gets moved up. It's really hard. That's such a tough mental game. You have to play with yourself. And, um, you know, and we have sports psychologists on on most teams. You know, they have them and they talk to you about the mental side of the game. And they just say, hey, look, you, you can't control someone else getting moved up or getting a promotion in a job or whatever. You can't control that at all. All you can do is play better. Like, just play better. Worry about your game. And it will happen if it's supposed to, basically. You know, like, you can't go to the show up to the field every day pissed off because someone else got got the call on you. Mm -hmm. So, it, as hard as it is, that's the only thing you can do is just play better and hope the organization values what you've been doing. What team did you hope you were going to get drafted to or wanted to play for? So I, I grew up a Dodger fan in Southern California, so I, you know, that was my team. Like I, I wanted to go to them forever. Um, but honestly, once I didn't care. Once the draft came around, when you're 21 years old and you see, you know, I was a fifth round pick. So, you know, I had seen four rounds of guys go before me. I'm like, hey, I don't care who it is. <laughs> Just someone pick me. Just say my name already. Someone pick me and I'll be happy. So, yeah, but in the back of my mind, I've always wanted, I always wanted to play for the Dodgers. That was, that was the team I wanted to play for. So, what team did you end up getting drafted for? So, I got drafted by Seattle Mariners and then traded to the Pirates and then uh, eventually, Rule five draft, which is another thing, but got traded to the Diamondbacks. So I finished my career with the Diamondbacks um, and got to AAA with them. Uh, so really close, but never got to the big leagues. But uh, seven years in, so I got I had a long career for most people. Um, and it was a great experience. Met a bunch of different people from all different cultures. And I've been to a lot of states in the U.S., some that you don't need to go to. So. <laughs> <laughs> and some cities that you don't need to go to. So... So, well, you can kind of say it was a kind of a full circle because you mentioned you're you were inspired by Ken Griffey Jr. and yeah. he did play for Seattle, and you kind of were in that system for them. So, did you kind of have that? Okay, I'm kind of following in the footsteps closer to my idol, or in a way, uh, a little bit. But he was like he was a phenom. Okay, so I was not that. <laughs> uh, he was a a high school pick. His dad played in the big leagues. Like he was like on the fast track from the time he was, you know, 15 years old. So he was different than me. I actually met him. I hate to say this because he was great, like nice guy, but because I'm so I'm six, seven for those that are out there, 
because I'm taller than him, when I met him, I was like, he's like shorter than me. I (laughs) I thought I was going to meet this giant figure, you know, and you watch him on TV. But because I'm tall, it was was still great. But it was different because he was shorter than me. Is there any players nowadays that you played with during your time at baseball that people would recognize now? Um, let's see. Or played Not, against. Yeah, I mean, I played against a lot of guys that are in the big leagues right now. Um, I can name a, a ton of them, but um, who's probably the biggest name? A lot of the Astros guys, unfortunately, that got a whole cheating scandal. But I played against a lot of them in the minor leagues. Um, I'd say on every team, at least a few guys that I played against. But, you know, I was drafted in 08, so we're talking 12 years. A lot of the guys are, if you're not in the big leagues, you're, you're not playing anymore, you know, so – the system moves fast, um, but yeah, I, there's a there's a bunch of guys that are still still up there. For someone that's listening to this that has never been to a minor league game before, what what could you tell them about being able to experience that for the first time? I think minor league games are good for fans. Actually, you can get close to the players. You know, the the team usually makes you sign a bunch of autographs. They'll have like you get on the field on Sundays, and you can you know, or you can just get closer to the players and. The whole experience is geared around fans. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of the big league games are more corporate. They got the luxury boxes. There's none of that usually at the minor league games. You get a lot of promotions. You get sometimes dollar beer night. You get it's just cool. So I think, especially for kids, they can run the yep. bases after. You know, like I think for fans, if you're if you don't care it that much and the prices are way cheaper, um, go to a minor league game. You can get to one. It's fun. I interned for. They call it the Frontier League, so it's like below single A um, for a team in Missouri, and it was so much fun. I was grow- I grew up going to those games, and like you said, it's all about family, family prices. So you're not spending ten bucks on food at a major league stadium, but you're paying ten bucks yeah. for a seat at least. And right. sometimes with my guests, I like to do a little digging, and I found a video. I think of you. Uh, you played. I guess it was a pirate night and you were asking the players before they could go into the clubhouse, what's the password? And I thought <laughs> that just brought so, so many flashbacks for me because I did a pirate night theme for my, during my internship. When you get those opportunities to do those, are you kind of like, eh, I don't want to, but, or I, yeah, sign me up. Some guys hated it. I didn't mind it. I thought they were fun. It depends what it was, you know, like sometimes it's cool to like when they put those videos up where they do like a Q&A with one of the players about random things and you get to know the players a little bit. I think those are fun. Mm-hmm. And I never really turned down interviews. Like some guys just don't want to talk at all. And I was never like that, which is probably why I got into podcasting. But, you know, I don't mind this stuff. I like talking to people and getting, you know, their perspective on things. So. Yeah, there's always fun. I'm sure you had plenty of promotions and funny things to do when you were down there. Um, but yeah, I, I think they're fun. This is what the fans want, and they, they want interaction. They want to be validated that you talk to them or you signed a ball. So you know, it's actually really cool. I I got some letters in the off season every like every every off season from random fans. It was like, hey, thank you so much. You didn't have to stay after and sign a ball for my kid, and you did. So thank you for doing that. So yeah, when you see that, that's pretty cool. It's kind of making a great impact because that kid yeah. will remember that for a long time and right. they'll maybe follow your career in a way. And if you they see you in the streets or something, they're like, hey, I, you, I have a signed ball from you. 
Do you, yeah. And you talked about some people don't like that. Were you a person that anytime the fans were around, you wanted to be there? Not always. Because, <laughs> like, sometimes they would have these ridiculous 11 a.m. games, which is way too early, by the way. <laughs> like, there's just, how can you get your body ready for a game? Like, it's just, it's too early. And then they bring the busloads of the kids in, and so and they're screaming the whole game. And they're at, literally, it was, you ever seen, uh, like, in Finding Nemo? You know, when the seagulls are like, mine, 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 yep. mine. You know, and like, if there's a foul ball hit down the line oh, near it, us. And it's like, like it's a battle. Look out, dude. And these kids are relentless. So I understand the parents want them to get out of the house and get go to a game for the day. But the kids can be difficult sometimes. I know that experience. We had uh, what school night or summer splash. I don't even remember what it was. But it was like camps coming and water parks. And I'm like, no. Let me put me in the office. Let me not deal right. with all these kids. Exactly. Nowadays, I'm like, okay, I can, I would be fine. But after one day, you're like, nope, I can't do this anymore. But I would right. say, working those like minor league or and lower, it's the best times. I remember those as a kid. Now the team is gone that I used to work for, and now they're a collegiate team. So I don't, I don't know much about them. What would you say was the memorable moment you've had playing baseball? Uh, let's see. In high school, I threw a no hitter. That was pretty special. Um, that was a big, big moment my senior year. And then I would say my first season in pro ball, I, I had a game where I had 13 strikeouts. So that was a big game for me. Um, but just, you know, I had random games throughout the year that were, that were good. Pitching in the playoffs and the minors was awesome. We, I won the, uh, I got one double A championship. I was on one of those teams. So that was pretty cool. Wow. Um, you get a ring or yeah. something? Yeah, got a ring. There we go. What was your, I know like people that are listening to this, they might play the MLB game. What was your like pitch pitches that you did? Did you have like a knuckle, I mean, knuckleball or something? I wish. Knuckleball is <laughs> hard to throw, man. <laughs> um, in the beginning of my career, I threw fastball, curveball, changeup, and then I went kind of more like a fastball slider, so more of a lower angle of a, a breaking ball. Um and change up, but I was a starter for most of my career until later in my years, I became a reliever. So my role kind of changed. So your, your mentality changes too, going from starter to reliever. So, um, that was transition. So you, after seven years of playing, how, when did you kind of know that this was kind of the end and I have to start looking for the next thing I wanted to do in my life. So my last year I played in Long Island for a team that's an independent ball team. And that was kind of like, I never thought I'd play independent ball. Basically for those that don't know, it's basically a, a pool of players trying to get back to major league baseball, whether it's back to the minors, back to the big leagues, whatever it is. So I played independent ball. You're still getting paid, but it's kind of, you know, a lower level of professional. Um, but I, I just knew I was like, I'm going to try this for one year. If I can't get back to the, to the, the big leagues and I, I'm done. Like, I'm not a baseball lifer. I didn't need the game anymore. Like, I was done. Um, and I was ready to move on. So I, I had a great season. I really did. Numbers-wise, I had a great season there. And I, I didn't get picked up by anybody. So I was like, you know what? I'm good. I, I can feel comfortable leaving. So I, I was fine with it. And I like I said, seven years a long time, plus three years of college, plus high school and the rest of your life. It's a long time. So I was ready to move on. Did you ever have any injuries at all? Yeah, I did. I actually had a, so you have a labrum in your shoulder and you also have a labrum in your hip. So I actually tore my labrum, my hip. Oh, um, so I had a, yeah, 
And so I had to get a surgery for that. I almost missed a whole season because of it. So I had a few, I had a, like groin injuries that they misdiagnosed forever just from pitching. Um, and it turned out to be a torn labor in my hip. So I had to get a hip surgery. Does those injuries play an effect on you today? Like, do you still have pain or is it more, it's been a long, it's been quite some time and now. All I think like, I just want to play pickup basketball now. And my, <laughs> my Achilles hurts, my back hurts, like just everything from years of playing. So it's just, <laughs> I just want to be pain free all the time, but it's not, not that easy. I play a lot of golf now. So that's it. That's okay. the best that I can do. Yeah. So after baseball, what was your transition? What did you start doing next? So I always kind of had the entrepreneurial mindset. Um, and I just thought I wanted to own my own business. And I thought maybe franchising would be the best. You know, it's, they give you the business plan. And I mean, obviously you pay for it. But, you know, it's kind of set up for you. And you just follow it. And you do all the hiring and firing and all that stuff. Food ordering and food costs and all that stuff. So um i had had jimmy john's the sandwich place a lot during my minor league career it was huge in the midwest and the south so and they would like before it, delivery was a common thing they're like it's close they're delivering to the clubhouse and we're you know it was great like before the game after the game it's easy and i had heard that they were coming to california so i was like all right i want to get in on this so my cousin uh, partnered with me and we we did this um one store out here um it was the toughest thing i've ever done i will tell you that so um, it just from scheduling you you got 18 to 22 year old kids mm -hmm. trying to run the show and you got to train them and keep them around forever. And it's hard and you're not their first priority. You know, they'll never care as much as you do as the owner. So it was tough though. I was getting up at 4am every day and they're to the store by five and, you know, getting the bread and the veggies ready and the meats and just everything. And it's when it's franchise, you have to do everything their way. So, um, and lunchtime business is, is tough. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely a competition for, for food. But uh, yeah, it was it was hard. <laughs> you mentioned that with franchises, you have to do it their way. Did you feel that you were held back? Like, I have these amazing ideas, but I can't really do any of them because it's not what Jimmy John's would want. Yeah, like, I mean, I was in there. I sold it. And we had it from 2015 to 2018. So we had it for about three years. And we were getting ready to do a second store and all that stuff. Um, and we ended up selling and getting out clean. No no loss there. But, yeah, there's a ton of stuff. Like, you know, their their thing was five-minute delivery. Well, when you're in a shopping center, it in California, it's tough to get out of the shopping center within five minutes. You know what I mean? And get to someone's house or business. So that was limiting. And they didn't have a rewards program forever until recently so mm -hmm. it's like you got jersey mics you got subway you got firehouse you got all these other ones that have they're just they're they're farther along and it just felt like jimmy johnson's a little bit more antiquated and old old school and it works in the midwest it's like in and out for them out there yep. in illinois or it's where it's from is in champaign illinois so we also felt like there was such a lack of marketing in California. They didn't, I don't think they spent enough out here to help us out. So a lot of the store owners are struggling because it's tough. And also store hours. Like nobody's like, if you're making money at night on sandwiches, good for you. Like it's almost impossible in my opinion. So, you know, if you don't make all your money between 11 and four, mm -hmm. you still have to stay open because they pick your hours for you till nine o'clock. So you're burning through labor and it's just like, what are we doing here? So there's a lot of stuff. We couldn't have our own social media without getting corporate approval. When you buy into their model, you have to do it their way. 
Did you ever think about taking what you've learned from franchising and starting like your own restaurant in a way? Restaurants are really tough. Just, you know, by the way, if anybody listening, you can totally reach out to me. I'll talk to you as you want about before you get into a franchise, what I would, yeah, some advice I'd give you on that or any restaurant at all. It's tough. You know, like I said, the labor side, you got dealing with people like customer service, like people, <laughs> sometimes people suck. Like, let's be honest. You know? So you have to just deal with that. And maybe that one customer a day just ruins your whole day. And everybody else is great, but you remember the one idiot that was complaining about something, you know? So I don't know if I want to get back into restaurants, but maybe starting my own business in the future. Yeah, definitely. I think that I've always wanted to do that and, and kind of lead versus just always work for somebody else if I can. So, yeah. Where in California was the Jimmy John's? So it was in the uh, Corona area, which is a little bit Inland Empire from where I'm at in Orange County. So it's about... 40 minutes away from where I live, but um, it's in, I guess, what state are you in? I'm in Missouri. Missouri, okay. So it's basically an hour-ish south of LA, so. Okay. I mean, I know main areas in California from shows and stuff, but it's like, I'm trying to, I only know, because when you mentioned like drive time, I'm like, yeah, I've heard about California traffic is not the best at all. Yeah, I'm sure delivery in Missouri is a little bit easier than delivery out here. Yes, depending on where you're at. I know downtown St. Louis, it can get tough because if you hit like rush hour, like good luck. Like you ain't getting anywhere. Um, But like I'm in Columbia, so like where Mizzou is and that, and you can get on the highway in like seconds. It's so easy. Right. That's one more thing I'll say about that is, you know, the corporate owned the college campus stores. So those would crank out sandwiches all night long and deliver to the dorms. And so they, they make probably double what the, you know, suburb shopping center stores make. So if you have a campus store, you're killing. Trying to think. I don't think there's a Jimmy John's near. There's like one near my house, but I only been there once. Yeah. Were you, when you were working at Jimmy John's and you had it as a baseball player, were you kind of like, I don't want to eat this. I'm done with it. It's like, (laughs) just looking at it doesn't, doesn't look appetizing at all. I have to admit, I haven't been back since I sold it. (laughs) So (laughs) not saying it's bad. It's just, it's limited from what you can get. Sometimes their menus a little limited. Um, It's fast. It's definitely fresh. I give you that. Um, yeah, their whole slogan is freaky fast. So yeah, no, look, it was a great experience for me. It was the toughest thing I've ever done, especially being owner operator. So it wasn't like just the silent money removed from it all. I'm in the store almost every single day and just long hours. So it was, it was tough. Taught me a lot, you know, with scheduling and labor and payroll and all that stuff. So what are like a few tips or advice would you give someone that's trying to get into franchising? All right, I'm going to give you my, just like those infomercials you see, I'm going to give you my three tips on it, on getting into franchise. These are the ones I honestly believe in. One, you have to have money or be able to get money, whether it's a loan or you have cash, you got investors, you have to have some capital to get into this stuff because you're going to burn through some for sure and possibly end up losing for a little while. So you have to have money. That's number one. Number two, you have to believe in what you're selling or in the mm-hmm. product, because if you don't, it's going to be a tough sell and you're not going to be hundred percent behind it going back to the passion talk. So you got to believe it and you got to have the will to get up every day and keep doing it no matter how hard it gets. And number three, I think this is the biggest one. You can't be afraid to fail no matter what, if you believe in this, you cannot be afraid of what it looks like 
or how you're doing in the first year, you can't judge yourself quickly. You have to make sure you, you are not afraid to fail and you're ready for the journey and you believe in what you're doing. So those are my three tips. Your last one kind of goes off of the episode I just posted about okay. self-confidence in a way. And one of the things I mentioned is trial and error. Like going for the, you got to take the risk sometimes because if you don't want to regret not doing it, um, but if you have the passion and you're not afraid to try it, go for it. Like if something bad happens, you adjust on the fly or you kind of take a step back, think about it, and then transition into the direction you want it to go. So I like, yeah. I like those three tips that you gave for someone that's yeah. going into franchising. Yeah, and I don't want to be, you know, 50 years old and go, man, I wish I would have tried to own my own business or start mm -hmm. something like that. And trust me, there's guys that are, because, you know, we had to go to academy and training and, you know, all the apprenticeships to learn how to run the store and all that stuff. And there's 50 plus year old guys in there just starting out. I'm looking at them going, if you even know what you're getting into, man, like, I hope you're not working in the store every day unless you got an abundance of energy. <laughs> because good luck hiring those kids that you don't relate with, that it's, I mean, we were young owners, so which is great. And, you know, obviously our parents helped us out and all that stuff. But, man, I couldn't imagine being an older guy or girl running a store like that because it's tough. For so. someone that, I mean, definitely age difference, I think, in a lot of people's industries, that the difference in age can play an effect on, like, for a manager. Like, I know my manager's they vary in ages, so they kind of have to think, what is a young person? Because I'm the youngest in my company. Um, what kind of tips would you give someone from your perspective of trying to work with those younger kids in a way? Yeah, I think, I mean, even for me, like, and I'm not, I'm not that old, I'm 33, but you know, <laughs> I'm, I was, at the time, I was like 28 hiring kids that are 18, you know, 10 years younger than me. And it's just, you have to make, first of all, you have to make sure they're a good fit, right? You have to make mm -hmm. sure that work is one of their priorities other than school and homework and friends and all that stuff. But, you know, we had, we were tough on the interview process. Like, can you, can you show up on time? Can you do things the right way and follow directions and just be a good person? So if you can at least do that, we will work with you. And also if someone does something well, you need to praise them. You need to like encourage them. Even if some people say, I don't need, I don't need you to tell me how good. No, everyone needs encouragement. So just say, Hey, I really like what you did there. Or if, if they did do or mess up or they did make a mistake, say, ask them like, Hey, what did, what were you like, what were you doing in this situation? Or how did you, you know, in a nice, I guess a nice way, but you still have to be a little bit stern. So they, so it sinks in a little bit like, Hey, we can't do that. Or like, you know, some kids, wouldn't wear the right shirt or they, you know, wouldn't bring their hat. And they're like, I, I'm like, no, there is a standard and you have to live up to it. It's, it's a privilege to work here or whatever, you know, even if it is just a first job. Yeah. So I think listening, but also you got to have rules and you got to be able to praise them when they do something right. Yeah. I think, cause I know some people like if they are getting yelled at, that's not the best answer because the person, it's one of those things where it kind of goes in one ear and, out the other they're not really going to take it but if you kind of have that tone in your voice where they know you're serious but it's not in a demanding way they're going to understand it and they're going to make those changes for the better oh yeah i also think if you're gonna if someone messes up don't embarrass them in front of the group that's a bad yes way. you're going to lose respect there take them you know just say hey can I, can I talk to you around the corner real quick just do it that way it's much better 
You don't need to blow them up in front of the whole staff. So I think just being smart and being respectful, even though they work for you, there's still people just like you. Yeah. If you had to own any franchise just for fun, what would have been that next franchise you would like to be a part of? That is a great question. Uh, I don't know if they do them, but Chipotle, I love Chipotle. So oh. I think that would have been awesome. Um, obviously, they have it's tough, too. They got rules. And I have to say, though, real quick, backing up, I am very thankful I don't have a small business right now. Going through the COVID times and mm -hmm. the pandemic, like, it's tough. So um, I can't, I couldn't imagine surviving through this. So I, I feel bad for those people. And I, I hope everyone does come out of it on the right side. Um, but back to your question, Chipotle, Starbucks, you know, in and out, even though they're private, you know, all <laughs> those are like, you're printing, you're printing money when you get one of those. So it sounds like kind of like fast food in a way. Well, I don't know if I call Chipotle fast food, but it's, it's fast like casual. I yeah. So you kind of like those quick things in a way i don't think they're going anywhere you know i think there's drive-through is huge i do think the delivery is the big wave now right everybody wants delivery um mm -hmm. so i think anything that does you know everyone has been forced to do takeout so you have to have an element of that um but i don't you know like i said restaurants are tough I, you know i don't know if, if if i would do another restaurant they're just hard you know and like i said with franchising and at least for us you know there's a 10% going back to Uncle Jimmy every week. You know? so, <laughs> <laughs> right away, gone. So Jimmy it's, taking it's the money. You got to do it their way and you got to pay them for the, for the business model. So. I know I see like all these franchises and they're just like, popping up everywhere. And it's just amazing. And like you said, they're the ones that are going to be around for a long time. Um, and especially also Chick-fil-A too. Yeah, Chick I think when I when I went to college, Chick Fil A was in our dining hall, and we would eat that all Chick Fil A and Cadoba. And after I graduated, I don't think I had Chick Fil A for like two years because I was like, I'm done with this. But yeah. Chick Fil A would be a good one. I'd probably eat yeah. most of the time I would be working, but that's just me. Yeah. Right. No, they have great great food. I love, and they're you know obviously everyone loves their service, the way they do things. So it goes yes. a long way. After you sold it in 2018, what was next for you? Yeah, I thought I, I was ready to, you know, as much as I wanted to own my own business again, I was like, you know what, this this I was just so stressed out from that whole experience. I, I needed a break from that. Um, and I, I just always thought if I wasn't going to be in that, I just sales is like a natural progression for a lot of athletes. It's competitive, you know. They keep score, as they say. <laughs> so, you know, I think, and I and I wanted to deal with people. Like, I'm personable, approachable. I want to be able to be with people. So even though outside sales is really tough, I just was like, no, I, let me give this a shot. So I ended up falling into the solar business. I knew somebody was working at a solar company. And so I started working with them. And um, it was basically doing residential solar. So I was going to people's homes, pitching solar. You know, most of the time it made sense, unless their electric bills were really low. But... Um, I was I was happy to get with a you know a publicly traded company just you know just a, my first real and remember I'm you know 30 years old just starting my career in sales you mm -hmm. know so I think that's a a tough transition for athletes I got like I didn't take a break after my career I went right into franchising so I spent from 21 till 29 not building a resume for real life so I was just now at 30, it's never never too late to start a <laughs> professional career. So it was definitely different. 
Were you like going door to door? I think as a salesperson. Some some of the time, yeah. But we were also getting leads from other sources, so um, they would just kind of like get put on my calendar based on what time slots I had available, and then I would. It's a lot of driving, you know. It's an outside sales, so it's pretty much all of Orange County. So I would drive to people's homes and sit down with them and kind of for about an hour and just kind of go through a presentation like, hey, this is what you're paying for electricity. If you go solar, you can lock in these rates or you can make a great investment, you know, long term in this if you have the cash ready to go. So we had different options for them. But again, it's something I, be I believe in. It makes sense. Solar makes sense, especially out here. It's so expensive for electricity. Why not do it? You know, so. I feel like you're trying to sell me on buying solar. Right now. <laughs> I'm not even working for <laughs> This is like a, to me, it's a no brainer because if you want more of a sales pitch, no, uh, <laughs> the electric companies, just like everything are always going to raise rates and you have to buy electricity forever. Yeah. So why not either lock in your rate with a company that can provide you with the same power, but you're paying way less for it over time, you know, or make a good investment and you get your tax credit and you know, there's lots of benefits to it. So, but trust me, there's a lot of other factors. Your roof has to be good. If it's not, you got to redo it. You know, all there's lots of things permitting, and so it's a, it's a process. But I think it's definitely it makes sense for most people. What were some obstacles that you have found, or you did find, when you were doing your sales job, and how did you overcome those obstacles? I think with in-home sales, especially when you're dealing directly to the consumer, not you know business to business, but B to C, I guess. It's especially for someone's home. It's such an emotional decision. It's like, mm -hmm. wait, you're going to get up on my roof and like do stuff up there and break tiles. And wait, you're, I'm so used to doing, I'm just, I just pay my bills. Wait, I'm not used to, you know, like they don't, they didn't even know they had an option really. So I think just trying to convince people like, Hey, it's okay. Like you're not going to have to change the way you live. You're just going to pay way less for using the same amount of power. Like, it, you know, and just having to deal with, Lots of competition. There's a ton of other solar companies out there. I worked for one of the big ones. So, you know, we were always more expensive, almost always. So you're like, hey, I know this mom and pop company is going to offer you at half price, but are they going to be around next year? Do they have enough lead flow to do enough installations? Oh, they're going to come by next week and already install it. How have they already gone through your HOA and, you know, gotten your permits already? Well, the reason they don't have any other jobs on the calendar. So they're pretty wide open, I'd say. So it's just, there's lots of obstacles when you're dealing with competition in any business. It's what do you, what kind of value do you bring? Not necessarily on price, but long-term, do you trust that this company I'm going to partner with is going to be here for me? So that was the angle that I would usually come from. So you worked with this job up until the COVID. Yeah. What was your reaction or the emotional side when you kind of were let go of the position? Yeah. It sucked, you know, like um, I, I wasn't expecting it. And I had actually led all of Orange County for our team in installation. So homes that were had solar installed for the first quarter of 2020. And so I was surprised. Um, my sales numbers were down a little bit just because, I, you know, I was looking around to see what else was out there anyway. But even so, I was still surprised. Um, it, you know, it's never a good feeling to get let go. It's just like mm -hmm. the day I got released in baseball. You know, it's just like man, this sucks, you know, like there's nothing you can do. Yeah. So um, it gives you an opportunity to do other things though. You know, you step back, you get time to kind of evaluate where you're at in life. And then that's kind of how I got into podcasting over the last couple of months, just like you, you know, like I, I was able to be like, wow, I have time. 
I've always wanted to do this. Let me give it a shot. I think some people may view it as this whole pandemic was kind of something bad, but I kind of look at it as it was kind of a good thing for me because I was able to build or look at my goals list or vision board and be, what can I accomplish now? And I've always had the topic of doing something like this with friends. And I was like, uh, I didn't have the confidence to do it. And I was like, this is the perfect timing to do it. And like you, you said, this is the perfect timing to try something new in a way. So talk about how did you get into podcasting and basically the theme of your podcast. Uh, about four or five years ago, my buddy and I actually tried to do this. And even a few months ago, he and I did it again. And we were we kind of had a, a different style of show, but we always just kind of thought it would be fun. Like we just, you know, do a bunch of movie lines and you know <laughs> back and forth, funny topics and stuff like that. Um, I never really knew what the goal of the show was going to be when we were doing that. But then kind of when he stepped back and I took over, it became more of an interview show. So I was like, you know what? I have a huge network of people. And I always knew this, but I didn't really dig into it yet of former baseball players, coaches, you know, different athletes from my, my, you know, growing up and in my past. And I was just like, Hey, let me see if I can maybe transition into more of that. So my whole thing is you can get your news anywhere. Like you don't need me to tell you what is going on in the sports world from like ESPN.com or Yahoo, wherever you get your news, you know, Google, you, you know, wherever. Uh, what you need me for is stories that you've never heard before mm -hmm. or someone's journey. And they're kind of like you're doing right now. No one can give you really that for, on, a, on a mainstream scale. So I like the story aspect and little nuggets from people during their careers of like, we would have never known that, you know, or wow, this guy went from undrafted no one even knew who he was to uh, made it to the big leagues like that's a crazy story i think people connect more with stories you know i could just read off online what's going on with Dak prescott's contract today you know like no i don't care about that so my mission is to give a story and um i have because i do have some credibility because i played professionally people might be more inclined to listen and be like hey this guy gets it he can speak the game he's you know deep you know, I want to have some sports psychologists on so I can get that stuff. So I want to give something different than just the average, you know, podcaster who's sitting around talking about fantasy rankings all day long. Correct. It's kind of like when I listen to a podcast, I always look at what, what can I learn from this? Like if I'm spending an hour listening to this, am I going to get something out of it? So definitely with that was kind of the vision for me is what can I give the listeners in a way? What can they learn? And I'm all about trying to motivate them. This is kind of the time to bring positive influences into the world and motivational. I'm all about motivational quotes. And some, most of the time, uh, usually with every podcast I do, I always have a quick fire challenge, which is a motivational quote, something that they can use that my guests went through and it kind of helps the listener be like, okay, how did they use this quote? Where is it going to come from? So it keeps them engaged in a way. And I love hearing the responses from my or my guests after they come on and from listeners because it, it keeps them motivated. It builds up self-confidence in a way. How did you get the title? I mean, you kind of mentioned that you're tall. so Right. Because, okay, so it's called Two Tall Sports Podcast. By the way, you can find me everywhere, wherever you want, Instagram, all the platforms, Two Tall Sports Podcast. So, yes, I'm basically, I'm just too tall for most things, you know, like, 
airplane seats unless I get exit row or aisle. You know, cars, I usually, luckily, have to sit in the front. You know, like, it's hard to buy clothes. It's hard to buy shoes in store. Like, they no, don't have it. No, can't help you. So it's just in general, I'm just too tall for stuff. So I thought, why not? You know? <laughs> I thought it'd be fun, but also, like, just to give an idea. And also, that's why, like, with my the image, my the cover art that I have. It's a pretty good image, I will like say. <laughs> yeah, the big city like skyscraper skyline, but also with a stadium like you know, just like a professional, but also sports. So I kind of want to come to that. Was that a Dodger Stadium or what stadium yeah. did you use? Yeah, it's like a loose. Yeah, my, I, I didn't do. Trust me, that's way over my head. So <laughs> my buddies did, did the art. So yeah, that no, was really cool. It came out great. I will say it's kind of like the hook. If someone's going to get hooked onto the title, they're going to be more interesting, interested to find out more information about what you're able to offer. So you kind of did a great right. job because when I heard it, I was like, I like this title in a way. It hooks me. It basically hooks me in. That's what you want. You want the hook. <laughs> then you got it. You know? So, so far with all your interviews, do you have a memorable moment so far? Like you, something you've learned from a guest that you've had on? Yeah, I thought it was crazy. Um, I know you said you just listened to it, the Chris Gronkowski episode that I have. So Rob Gronkowski's brother, who's actually older than him, um, about his ice shaker bottle company. He got to go on Shark Tank. I thought that was awesome that he, he was shared that. And uh, you know, there's five brothers of the Gronkowski. So you kind of have to find your way in that family. And, yeah. You know, he was like the third best, I think, football-wise, you know, and just learning his journey of, you know, he didn't get drafted. He went went undrafted, got signed by Dallas, and then he got to play in Indianapolis and then Denver. And his wife's company took off. And I think the coolest thing was figuring out, like, he really found his own niche with this ice shaker company. So I thought that was cool to hear, you know, because Rob had his thing and his older brother was already – it was cool to hear his side of the story about creating something, even though there's already people that are famous in this family. And I think something from that interview that I got is he mentioned that people know him as one way, but you mentioned something him being like the smartest or the most like entrepreneurial out of the group. And it's kind of, he kind of had that moment, like that's interesting. And so it's kind of, it kind of built him up. So he's able to, okay, I can do this. I'm per, I'm doing well at where I am today. Right. Exactly. I wanted to bring him on and, you know, not just because of the name, but like, it was, it's a cool story, you know, to go from just from somebody, like I said, not the most famous person in your family, but now with, on the business side, he's killing, you know? Yes. So it was really cool to have his mom talk about that. Did he give you a free eye shaker? <laughs> not, I, you know what? I told him <laughs> I didn't want it free. I wanted to support the brand. He gave me a discount, but if anybody does want it out there, I think I have a promo code too tall. You can use that and you can get an ice shaker. Uh, dot com and get a bottle and I got the logo on it and so it's cool. Now I wanted to support the business and uh, he's great. That's good. So you mentioned that you're in Orange County. Why did you pick Orange County to live in? Well, my parents picked it first, so I didn't <laughs> get but uh, because simply for all you Missourians out there, there's nowhere better on earth than Orange County. So you're not weather's wrong. great. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's, it's perfect. It is expensive. Don't get me wrong. Cost of living. I'm sure I could buy a great house in Missouri. It's, you know, maybe I will someday. Maybe I'll buy a, a home out there. But uh, No, it's awesome. There's And even during my minor league career, like I said, I went all around the country. So there, I went to some great places. Like if I had to rank them, you know, second and third, I'd probably say Scottsdale, Arizona second. Great place to be. I have some buddies over there. 
parts of Florida are nice. Um, you know, on the Tampa Clearwater side, there's some nice parts or on the, you know, Fort Lauderdale and, uh, Palm beach on the, the East side, but, uh, in Miami, obviously, but I just, I don't know. I just found myself coming back here. Maybe the family aspect is closer, but you know, LA is too crazy for me at, you know, at least <laughs> it's just too many people. And so Orange County is a little bit, a little slower, but also fast paced. And it's just a great area. So something we like to do with our guests is kind of reflect on the interview. What does the future look like for you personally or professionally? Like what's your um, next goal is that you're wanting to accomplish? Yeah, I'd like to grow the show as much as I can. Obviously, you know, it's a tough road in the podcast world. But, hey, Joe Rogan signed $100 million. <laughs> That's all of our dreams anything, right now. <laughs> anything is anything is possible. Uh, but, yeah, if I can do that, that'd be uh, – not that. But if I can do – you know, make it into something, that'd be awesome. You know, maybe get picked up by a network or something like that. And, you know, have some free reign, be able to be a part of the show for a network. That'd be great. Um I don't know. We'll see. Um, it's it's hard to say right now. I don't, I don't wish I had a better answer for you right now, but um, I, I might get back into. I'm probably going to get back into sales. There's no question about that, at least for for now. But just don't know which field. Um, possibly get in a commercial solar and you know not deal with as many homeowners anymore. <laughs> do more big big projects, larger deals, maybe something like that. So I'm looking into a few things, but. Still kind of evaluating. I'm, I'm just taking taking it slow and figuring out what I what I really want to do next. But for now, it's podcasting. Well, you mentioned you were playing golf. You could just become another professional golfer. Might as well. I got zero chance of that. <laughs> <laughs> I think I just I just found my golf clubs. I'm like, well, these haven't been used in forever. I I'm like one of those people when I play golf. If there's a house off the fairway, I'm slicing it and hitting the the window. So oh, you better watch yeah. out. <laughs> you probably don't want to play it's with golf me. Is, it's hard, dude. It's a tough sport. I just, you know, it's frustrating, but you hit a couple of shots around or a couple, a couple good holes. Like this is why I'm coming back every time. <laughs> what is the, is there any like known golf courses? Like is Pebble beach in California? Yeah. Pebble beach is above San Francisco. It's in Monterey area. So yeah, it's, that's like a world renowned course. There's the uh, Riviera in LA is a nice one. There's, you know, you got like Beverly Hills and Bel Air country club and all that stuff. Um, there's some nice courses down here too. Um, yeah. There's a ton. Down here. <laughs> is there like one course that you're like wanting? It's on like your bucket list. I want to go play pebble. So speaking of that one, yeah, I think that's like the Mecca of golf. Yep. So I got to go play there at some point. Everyone just visions that one. I don't know what hole it is, but it's the whole side is like water off the cliff yeah. or something i'm like can i just stand near it like i don't want to play because the ball is going to go in the water but just let me look out so my dad and i went to the u.s open last year we got tickets to go up there so we walked it walked the tournament it's spectacular like i, I definitely want to go back and just and play there and just to like it was crazy and the you know obviously before covid like the fan experience is great we bought a whole bunch of expensive t-shirts just because they had the logo for us open on it. It's probably 30 <laughs> bucks, but you know, now it's 90 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> just mark up totally those prices. Yeah. For someone getting into baseball, what tips or advice would you give them? Uh, what age are we talking about? Young, young, uh, I guess someone in college or minor leagues, like you probably had like an experience or like what's something like you learned during your time that you would give them as an advice? 
Yeah, I'd say the biggest thing, kind of like we talked about earlier, is you cannot control what other people are going to do or how they're going to play. You can only control your game, and that's as far as it should go. You know, how far up you go in baseball is not up to you other than your performance on the field. So just focus on that. Keep working hard, and don't worry about what everybody else is doing. For someone getting into podcasting, what tips or advice would you give someone? We kind of both can relate with being new at this, so... I think being consistent is from what I've seen is the most, you know, trying to build the following and um, just putting out good content consistently. I think that's the biggest thing trying to give, give me like, I've heard someone say it like this, would you want to listen to your podcast? That's what you have to remember. Like if you're, while you're doing it, would someone actually want to listen to this? If you can say yes to it, then yeah, then keep doing it. I think a lot, I think some people that I know, they kind of look at how many people are listening as like the factor if they continue or not. And I've read articles and they're like, well, you have to give it time. I mean, for me, I'm, I'm a no one, like, no, I'm not famous or anything, but if I network with people and reach out and people are finding that I'm able to con contact people and learn more from them, they'll might want to come in and listen to me. So, and I, I don't look at views or anything. It's more, I enjoy talking to these, everyone because I learn something new from them. I learn something new about myself and I'm getting the whole experience. So I can get 10 views, I'm fine with it. Those 10 better have learned, I hope they've learned something from listening to it. Yeah, and sometimes following is a little deceiving. Like, you know, just because you have a bunch of followers, how many listeners are you getting? You know, you might have, yeah. right? Like, you might have a big social media following, but are you, what if you're only getting 10 listens out of a thousand followers? So I think to build the, as they say, organic following of people that actually listen to you is more important than getting a ton of followers and nobody listening. Yeah. You definitely want, like you said, the content. You want quality, not quantity. If you're just posting, yeah, provide, if you're provide just posting, a reason yeah. for people to come back. Correct. I just don't, I don't want to just post a post. Like I'm, I want to take the time and make sure the episode's good and it's worth the time to edit and all that. Do you edit yourself? Right. Or like, are you, no, no, no. I have my buddy who did the cover art also. He's more on like the, you know, he has that, that brain for that stuff. So he's the best. I, I, I would struggle without him because I don't want to do the editing. I'd, I'd rather have someone who's good at it do it. So. <laughs> I was making like, I did charity events in my days uh, in college, and I did video editing and stuff like that. So I, I'm like, I kind of have that experience. But when it comes to just audio stuff, I'm like, I have, I have no idea. I'm like, do I make this louder? And I remember my favorite is when my friends are like, your first episode, your voice sounds very low. And I'm like, well, I was trying to sound like a, cin uh, a cinema trailer in a way, but it just did not come out right. <laughs> and if he's summer. <laughs> yeah, I'm like... If it's if someone can laugh at it, I did my job. Everyone laughs. So, yeah, so sure. the final question for someone listening to this interview: What tips or advice would you give them for them to rise to their challenge, to overcome an obstacle, and accomplish their goals? I would say if you're struggling in the moment, you try not to get caught up so much on what's happening right now. It will, as long as you are willing to do the work to get better at whatever you're doing and you see the light at the end of the tunnel, then keep pushing towards that goal. Just because it sucks right now doesn't mean it's going to suck forever. And don't let your brain create that reality that, well, this is it for me. No, it's just today might be a bad day. But mm -hmm. 
just keep if you like I said earlier, if you believe in it, you will push through and make it happen. So as long as your goals are in line and you have your plan, you got to work your plan once you're ready to go. Yeah, and everyone's not perfect. Like a lot of people may have to go through some failures or something low in their life to get them back up and on their track. I was just talking to a friend who has been all over the graph in a way saying it and he's now finding his stride in a positive direction and it just brings up someone's confidence in a way and keeps them motivated to continue doing what they love doing definitely and like you know did i I did not want to sell i was the last one that wanted to out of my you know parents and my partner at the like my business partner i did not want to sell the franchise at all i had the long i got into this for the long term and i wanted to get five to 10 stores. That was the goal. But I ended up selling after three years because we had to, and it was not what I wanted, but I went through it and I ended up on the other side, you know, like just things are going to happen. Not, it's not all going to go to plan. And I'm someone that struggles with, well, it's, you know, the uncertainty of a not being in control of stuff, you know? So if you can be okay with some uncertainty and keep pushing, you will find your way. Everybody kind of finds their way at some point. I have those moments where I'm always like strategy, strategy, which way it's, something's going to come out. And I think I have to, I've learned about myself where I kind of have to like let go in a way and kind of just say, whatever the road takes me, just continue on it and make changes as you go. It's not going to be perfect, but as long as you're learning from it, you're getting something out of it. Yeah, definitely. You want my my motivational quote for you? Yes. <laughs> Let me write it down. My, my dad, I grew up on, you know who John Wooden is, the old UCLA coach? He's like one of the story coaches in, in the history of college basketball. Have you ever heard that name before, John Wooden? I don't think so. Okay. So anyway, he's old. Like They used to call him the Wizard of Westwood because that's where UCLA is. So his he has a whole a ton of books, but the one that always sticks in my mind is failing to prepare is preparing to fail. So if you are always prepared, there's no fear, there's no what ifs. If you're ready for what the challenges might be, or even a little over prepared, there's nothing to worry about because you're ready to go. So that's, that's good. That's my feeling. Yeah, that's going to be the quick fire challenge for this. There you go. Keep those listeners engaged. <laughs> well, Brett, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your experience and letting the listeners go on your rise to the challenge. Thank you very much. It was great. I saved this interview. I might even use it for myself because I I needed someone to ask me all these questions. So (laughs) you're doing great. Stick with it. Thank you very much again. it It was an honor to be on your show. So thank you for having me. Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember, you can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, and all major platforms. Remember, our mission is real-life stories, real motivations to inspire all generations. Follow the podcast on Instagram and follow me on social media. Let me know about your rise to the challenge. Have a great day, everyone. <laughs>